This morning, you've got a special treat. Pastor Kent is back from Uganda with his family. In July, they uh, moved out uh, to Uganda to go to training for five months, New Hope Uganda. They're home for a couple of months to visit us, family and friends and supporters. They'll go back in February to start a school of ministry. God's really been speaking to him, so I asked him to come and teach us this morning. So he's going to be sharing the message. And just so you guys know, you heard it here first, okay? Pastor Kent's a great teacher, excited for him to share. Would you welcome Kent? Good morning. In Uganda, we say Ichomabe, and you would say Achomabe. So Ichomabe, you're speaking Ugandan already. It's a tribal language up north, it's, uh, in the, it's called Acholi. And uh, we've been learning it a little bit. Um, it's not wasn't our emphasis for the last five months, but we are hanging out with some Acholi brothers and sisters, and they were trying to share with us as a family. And, and just as we were just doing life together, we were just, teach me this word and, and whatnot. And so we got a little bit of the vocabulary down. When we go back in February, we're going to hit it hard. So pray for us. What a wonderful time it is to be back. Uh, we got back November 23rd. Had the jet lag deal, it's normal for a week. Um, and then the flu had a little bit of fun in our household. Did he have fun in your household as well? And it seemed like it passed around, and so we're finally getting recovered from that. But we're really enjoying our time. It's so nice to be back here at the fellowship. Um, you guys are our spiritual family. Um, I've said it before, but I, you know, I, was, I was saved here um, 15 years ago. Um, I was brought under when Eric was the youth pastor and a young adults pastor at the time. And he just sort of took me under his wing and discipled me and became friends and, and uh, eventually brought me on staff in 08. And, and then he just sent me out this year to go to Uganda. And it was a passion that was on Eric's heart around the 2008-2009 time frame as he said, God's going to do something in Uganda and we want to be a part of it. And, and it's so crazy now. Here we are being kind of that extension of something that God birthed in Pastor Eric's heart way back then, and here we are now, we're going out. And so we did five months of training, and it was a unique time for us as a family. Now, you know, we have three small kids, a nine, seven, and a five-year-old, and they assimilated like, like kids do. It was just great. Um, they assimilated probably better than we did. And we just kind of plugged in there. There was a class of 26 of us, I'm at a place called New Hope, Uganda. They have a, a school called the Institute. And the whole point of the Institute was to train us on how to do ministry in a third world context, how to see from their perspective what life is like and how they view God, um, to talk about their worldview, talk about our worldview and how to figure out how we grow together and we work together. But we both, regardless of what culture you're in, you both need a biblical worldview. Because we have our own Western worldview, and they have their own Ugandan worldview, and they are, there's a lot of differences in there. So how are we going to do ministry up north in a war-torn area where there's orphans and widows and all the pastors were affected by the war? How are we going to do ministry together and, and be a part of the kingdom's work? And so we just did this training for five months, and we just went through so many different topics. It was remarkable. But one of the neat things about um, New Hope is... Their mission is to be, bring the father to the fatherless. They get that from Psalm 68, 5. Bring the father to the fatherless because there are orphans all over Uganda because of the wars and disease. And they had a passion. Um, the Danger family had a passion back around 2000, or excuse me, 1985. They, they, they saw what was happening there and that we got to do something. They moved their entire family there. And they started what they call an orphanage, but it's not really what you consider an orphanage. It was, uh, there are orphans there, but they, they believe if you put an orphan, a child without a parent, um, in just a big block building with a couple of moms taking care of them, they're going to miss something. They'll be loved and whatnot, but they're going to miss something. And so their design was, is we're going to have a mom and a dad, and we're going to put 10 to 20 kids inside this family unit. And that's, each one of these children have brothers and sisters, and they have a mom and a dad, and they will grow up all their life with a mom and a dad. 
And that's what they've done. And they have six of these. And they're all around you when you're on the grounds there. And so all day long, I'm around this happening, these, these parents taking care of these orphans. And it gets you to start thinking about a lot of things, um, about how scripture, God's passionate about the fatherless. If you start looking for that in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you're going to see it's a major theme in the scripture. God is extremely passionate for the orphan, for the widow, for the stranger. Matter of fact, he makes it such a point to the, to the Israelites that it was in the book of the covenant. Take care of these of mine because they're mine. I want to be their father. And he mentions it multiple times. But when you're in that context, then the scripture just kind of opens up. The lights come on and it really just exposes the heart of God. And so for the last five months, we were able to kind of to see the heart of God in this a little different way. And it was so refreshing. There was times in class I just couldn't hold it in. I just wanted to just scream for joy. I was just like, I cannot believe God's speaking to me in this way right now. And I don't know if you guys ever felt like that before, but I just, man, I just had those moments, several of those moments, those breakthrough moments. Um, while we were there, we were able to go up to Gulu and get things, trying to get things rolling. So we got 15 students locked in. They're all pastors and leaders that I've known since 2010 for most of them. And they are faithful workers in the kingdom who just need somebody to come alongside of them and train them. And they're begging for it. And we were looking for a school and I'll just share this real quickly and get into our message. We are looking for a place to call home, a school. And so the design of this school is one week a month, we're going to bring these people, these, these men in, and they're going to stay on campus, stay there, and they're going to, we're going to just teach them for seven days and just pour into them. And we're going to do a book of the Bible every time. And so in three years, they'll have gone through every single book of the Bible and tested out of it and know the themes throughout all the scriptures. Know where Jesus is in every book of the Bible. That's our plan for the school. But we need a place to do this school. And we were having a tough time trying to find a place. And we want to start in May. And so praying and praying, God, I know if you're in this, you're going to go ahead of us. And this is your deal. We're, just, we're going to come alongside of you. And you're going to do this. And three weeks before um, we graduated from the school out there and I was going to come home, I did it. I'm not going to get the full story, but I just, I went down to Kampala, which is eight hours south of Gulu, where we're going to be living, where the school is going to be. It's the capital, Kampala. And I was at the government agency trying to get the passport stuff worked out. It was frustrating. I didn't know what to do. And I went outside and I saw a Westerner there. I said, do you have any, like, can you help me find where the immigration office is and whatnot? And he said, yeah, but let me go ahead and um, help you. What's wrong? What's going on? I told him it. He explained it to me in like one minute. Boom, Done. And we started talking. We had a conversation for about 15 minutes. He asked me what I'm doing. I said, I'm going up to Gulu to start a school of discipleship. He's like, really? You want him to know my name? And I, I said, what do you do? And he's like, well, I'm up in Gulu. And, and, he, and I was like, really? And then, who are you and all this stuff? And I've heard of his name before, but never met him. And then at the 15-minute mark, we were done speaking. Um, and the last thing I said to him prior to departing is like, Josh, if you know any place to call home for a school for me, you know my requirements of what I need. I need a dormitory. I need a teaching area. I need a kitchen to cook for these guys. We really need something safe and affordable. If you know anything, please let me know. He's like, you know what? We have this, this complex that I think it'll meet your needs. It has dormitories, it has a kitchen, it has an office, it has a teaching area. At one time, I had 62 orphans in this area in this complex, and now we're down to nine. We're about ready to put them into families' homes, and it's going to be empty in December. Why don't you come and look and see if it would work for you? So I come up two weeks later, and I look at it, and I'm like, this is amazing. Too good to be true. I asked him, I was like, Josh, this is a big complex you got here. You know, this is beautiful. And, he, and I said, what's going to cost? Because we're on a tight budget here. And he said, it's free. We just have a passion to see People come and invest in the pastors here because it's the biggest need up here. The pastors need truth so they can teach their people about God. And I'm like, free? <laughs> Amazing. Like, that, those are things that you know that God, like, that stuff just doesn't happen. It's just a random occurrence in Kampala, which is a super busy place. And it just so happens this was happening to him. This place is going to be vacant. He didn't know what he's going to do with the property. And here we are. Like, okay, you step out and God's moving. That's a miracle. So we just got word. Um, the last week, his board approved us to actually use it. And that to us is just like, okay, God, you're in control of this thing. You're moving. So as a church, guys, we have 
God's moving and we're, neat things are happening. You know, it just builds my faith. It really does. So I continue to pray for that. As I said, we're starting in May. On the third week of May, we're going to start our school. And so if you want to be, get behind the school in itself and help fund some of these pastors, we're still short on that financially. If you want to help pray for them as well, and if you don't have, want to get involved financially, but you want to help in another way and you want to pray, but just come and visit us at the table here. Um, and any help would be very much appreciated to get these pastors equipped and trained and sent out. And so the place is free, so that helps our budget out a lot, but we still have a little bit of a shortfall. But just all in all, we see God moving. Thank you for praying. Thank you for supporting and just being on our side. Let's pray and let's get into our message. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus over today. I pray over the message that it would impact my heart in such a way that it would spill out onto these men and women. And we would be used by the Holy Spirit to understand your scripture, but most importantly, to understand how to have a relationship with you. Would you be so kind as a father in heaven just to answer our request that we know you better? I couldn't imagine you saying no but you would be open-armed and inviting, say yes. So allow us to, with the Holy Spirit's help, to understand you through the face of Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Our message, our topic today is the fatherhood of God and adoption. But before we get into it, and you don't have to turn here, but I was, we were going through this this morning in staff devotion, and it led me to this passage. If you want to turn to 1 John chapter 3, you're more than welcome to. It's, not the, it's just kind of an opener. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. You there? Not the gospel of John, but 1 John. It's after Peter. I'm going to read it. It says, behold. Now this is John. The one that Jesus loved, right? That's what he's known for. One of the, top, one of the three, he was given the responsibility to take care of his mom. This guy knew what was happening. He knew Jesus. He knew what was going on. And he writes this to the church after Jesus um, has ascended and the church is getting Established, He says, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. And what's the punctuation after that? Exclamation point. What's that mean? I'm going to get your attention on this. This is grand. This is a grand statement. One who walked with Jesus for three years, taking care of his mom, One of the top three of the disciples says this. So what do you think he is trying to communicate to the church with a statement like that? The Father has bestowed upon us what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. It's a remarkable statement with an exclamation point at the end. Have you thought about that? Is this something that you regularly think about? Because it's pretty remarkable if this is true. And I know it is, and you know it is, but I'm just throwing it out there like this. If this is true, how does this affect how we live and how we read the scripture? Back in 2002, I was in Saudi Arabia. I was working there amongst a bunch of Muslim men. Wonderful, polite, generous men. Really were. They would give the shirt off the back to you if you needed it just kind. And, and, and if you know anything about, if you've ever been around Muslim men, you know there's probably four things that they like to talk about. It's their family, sports, soccer, or football they call it, politics, and religion. And religion being the number one. They love to talk about their belief. They pray five times a day. They're so committed and devout to what they believe. 
And so we're sitting here working one day in the hot sun in the desert. And we're talking, and there's about 30 of them and just me, one Westerner. They automatically assume I'm a Christian because I'm from America. They don't understand it's a choice that we, that we make, that we receive the Father's love, and it's a commitment that we make to be a disciple, right? So for them, they're born into this, and that's how they're taught, and that's what they believe. They're Muslims from birth. And they're talking, and they want to talk about religion, and they're asking me questions, and one of their questions lent to the answer of Jesus is the Son of God. Those words came out of my mouth. If you know anything about Islam, Allah is not the Father, and Jesus is not the Son, and Muhammad was really specific about that in the Quran. So when those words came out of my mouth, because that was the answer, they were looking for it, right? The, one of the guys, he was closest to me, nice guy, he says, are you trying to tell me Allah is a father and he had a son? And everybody starts laughing and here I am, just standing there like, okay. Uh, I didn't know what to say. I've only been a Christian for a year and a half. So I don't know like apologetics and how to defend my faith very well. But all I could say was, why not? Why can't God be the father and have a son? They don't understand that. They don't see that. And it went completely silent. And I'm sitting there now thinking, "Uh uh-oh, what did I just get myself into? How am I going to get out of this one? You know, but the leader of the group came over and smoothed it out. And boom, we were off working again. And we were friends again. But at that moment, I realized for the first time how unique we are as Christians. That we actually have a father in heaven and we're children of him, of God. That he adopted us. And all the other religions, specifically Islam, is a fatherless religion. It's a God that's at, it's a distant God. And it's based upon works, like a slave to a master. That's what it is. Really, when you boil it down to it, that's what makes Christianity unique. And that's what makes us unique. But are we even capitalizing upon this truth? Are we? Are we meditating upon this truth? Or are we just going through motions Are we being kind of like that servant, that slave, and not realizing we're a child of God? And as I'm going through scripture, and and it started back then, I've been working on this thing. This has been kind of my lifelong journey. I truly want to understand God as a father, don't you? If you were to be able to say, I want to, to eliminate all confusion, When it comes to my relationship with God, I I see that he's my father. He says that we're his children. But how do I get there? Do you have that frustration sometimes? How, where's the disconnect? How am I supposed to love him with my heart, soul, mind, and strength? My entire being. Like I love my children. Like I love my wife. It's kind of like an abstract concept because he is invisible right now, but he sends us his Holy Spirit And one day we will see his face. So how do we do this? Just because it's a frustration, you can't get to it right now, doesn't mean you don't continue to work on it. And I'm telling you, as we study scripture, the more you study it, it increases your knowledge. And the more knowledge you have of something, the closer you are to it if you spend quality time with it. So quality time plus knowledge equals relationship. Quality time plus knowledge equals relationship. Do you agree with that? You can't have a a quality relationship with anyone if you don't spend time with them. And if you don't know anything about them, if you don't have any knowledge of them, then you don't have a relationship. And it's no different with our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And I'm going to admit right out of the gate that I don't have it all figured out. And I don't know if I ever will. How can we fully comprehend the Father? But I think it's the source of our joy I think it's what makes us unique and special. And I think it's something that every single day we have to recognize, like us as parents, if we're parents, we want our children to have a relationship with us, a loving relationship, and I want one back, reciprocation. And we're created in his image. If he created a father, that's probably how he feels, right? 
He's a father. He chose that word for a reason. He has those feelings as well. We see it in the face of Jesus. And so today's message is going to be on the fatherhood of God and adoption. And so we're actually going to, because this is a theme, it's a little different than how we normally teach here. We're normally, we're expository. We're just going to go through one passage and focus on it. But you can't do that with this theme. And so I'm going to have to bounce around a little bit. So just so think that in mind. We're going to bounce around. We're going to see the big picture to try to grasp this and understand it. And it's really just a smidget of the journey. And it's going to have to be upon each and every one of us to continue on it. But let's talk about it. Um, and we're going to, our main passage is going to be out of Galatians chapter 3 and 4. So go ahead and turn there. Galatians 3.26. You know what Galatia is, right? Modern day Turkey. Paul's first missionary journey, he went out, planted churches, came back, and ended up writing this letter to them. It's a tough letter, because if you look in chapter, in verse, chapter 3, verse 1, he calls them foolish. That's not a way to make friends. Who's bewitched you, he says, of the truth. He's already shared that truth with them. And so he's going to go back and readdress some of these things that he's talked to them about. And he wants them to understand this, starting in verse 26 of chapter 3, Galatians. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So right out of the gate, he says, you are all sons. And so maybe the women are sitting here thinking, where are we? Now, this is a general term, meaning a child. It's not, he didn't, it's really sons, daughters, and everybody together. It's a general term that he's talking about here. And we have, we're supposed to be, we're supposed to recognize that our faith, we're sons of God through faith in Jesus. So there's no possible way we can be part of this family without Jesus. And for as many as you receive, or excuse me, for as many of you as were baptized in Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free, male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We are in a family, he says, regardless of your background, your race, your sex, your job, your title, whatever it is. If you are in Christ, you're a child of God. And you have a father. This is an argument that he's given to the Galatians. Now, when you're reading the book of Galatians and Romans and even Ephesians, these are doctrinal books. He's trying to set doctrine so we understand who God is. And so if you ever heard of like the doctrine of salvation, justification, sanctification, regeneration, all these doctrines. But you know what? Um, when you read something like this, what we're going to talk about with adoption, that's a doctrine too that's overlooked more often than not. It's a doctrine of adoption. Paul wants to get them to understand this. And we get sometimes wrapped up in all these doctrinal books and we want to get smart about all these different concepts of regeneration and sanctification and all these things, which is great, but it's supposed to lead to something greater. And that's understanding that our, we have a father and that we're a child and that we live in a family now. And we are to capitalize upon that relationship. And that's what he's trying to get the Galatians to remember because they're going back into the old system as slaves to the law. And he said, you're no longer a slave, you're a child. You're in the household of God now. You enjoy it as a child to a father relationship. And that's what he's, his argument is here. Now, in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 4, excuse me, chapter four, verse one. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is a master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. So there's something to talk about with heir, meaning that you're gonna receive an inheritance. Even so, we, when we were children, were under bondage under the elements of the world, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption 
as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. Then an heir of God through Christ. So let's talk about this a little bit here. Um, I think the first thing that I want to, to talk about is adoption. And then we'll talk about the fatherhood of God and piece this all together. Where did this concept come from, this idea, this word adoption? Where did this appear? Where's Paul pulling this from? Because it's not in the Mosaic covenant. It's not in the Mosaic law. You can't find it in the Old Testament. It's not there. Now we have like Moses being adopted by an Egyptian. And then we have Esther possibly adopted by Mordecai. That was in Persia. And that's really all we have in the Old Testament. And Paul's trying to set a doctrine of adoption, trying to get them to understand through this adoption process is where our relationship begins and ends. So where is he getting this from? He uses this Greek word, heotesias. And it's used only five times in the Bible and only used by Paul. Paul's a Roman citizen, and it's, it's a Roman legal process. And he uses it in the book of Romans three times, starting in 8.15 and goes through to um, a verse in chapter 9. Three times in Romans. One time here, and another time in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. And that's that famous verse that we like. It's, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. He adopted us to, according to the good pleasure of his will. So it's really a remarkable concept to think about it, even in today's terms, how we understand adoption. But during Paul's time, it was a little different. And he's trying to communicate to the, his people during that time who understood the Roman law and the Roman legal system, the importance and the impact that an adoption could have on a child. So let me take you back into the context a little bit and help you understand the legal system. What was happening during the time? We had slaves that it was common. Slavery was common. It was different. Like if you wanted to earn money that you would give your child over to this master who was very wealthy, who had an inheritance and it was very wealthy and you maybe worked for like a year or so. And then the father of that child that was a slave would get paid. And he entered the legal system. You couldn't sell your child more than three times because they didn't want their children to be abused more than three times. And this was common throughout all of scripture. It's mentioned even in the, this was just part of the culture. This is how the economy worked. There was probably not the big middle class. It was just poor and, and then wealthy. But if a wealthy person didn't have a son, didn't have an heir, he could adopt that slave child. And then that child could come in to the family, take on the name, and even be a co-heir or an heir with the other siblings and take on the name of that new adopted father. And in the Roman system, the power of the father in the household was absolute. It gave him authority to dispose of the child or sell a child or receive a child. Gave the father a lot of authority. And so we get this picture, and this is what happens. You can read in, if you study this, the context here, is it was a really a symbolic ceremony when the father of the slave child and it's usually an adolescent, like a young man, an adult, um, probably 18 years old, 20 years old. He was still under the power of, of the father, even at that age. And if that slave owner wanted to adopt that slave, there was this process, and you would go into the court of law. There was a scale there, and there were some uh, copper coins, and there were seven witnesses. 
And the father of that child would go and symbolically sell his child and then buy him back. And the seven witnesses would watch this. And this had to happen three times. And then on the third time, he would not buy the child back. And so then the adopted father would come in, take this child to the Roman magistrates and say, I want to accept this child as my own. And those seven witnesses would sit there and vouch for it all. And if that father ever died, one of those seven witnesses would come in later and say, no, this happened. This exchange happened. And so what Paul is trying to say in their context, they knew this process more than likely. This is kind of how the adoption of the father in a sense would work is you're a slave to this world, slave to sin. And this father would come in and give you this royal inheritance, take you in and your old life now has passed away. No authority of the old family has, they don't have any authority over you whatsoever. You have transferred all legal rights to the new father, to the new father. And here you are as a co-heir in this royal priesthood to the heavenly father. He's using this example in context so we would understand our interaction. And he purchased us with the blood of a son. And now we're co-heirs with Christ. So turn to Romans chapter 8. It's really neat when you can dig into the context. And maybe you guys are like, man, I don't like this stuff. But I have fun with it. I'm having fun up here talking about it. Because it helps me piece it all together. Look at Romans 8, 15, it's really the same thing. And now not, he's, he's not really talking to, the, to modern day Turkey. He's talking to the Rome. He's talking to the capital of the world. And all the people are going to try to understand this doctrine. And he's teaching them this. For, in 15, chapter 8, verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And then the children, the heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, which is different than in the Galatians passage. It says we're joint heirs with Christ. And he also says in this one that the spirit bears witness. And so what he's doing is he's bringing in this courtroom scene that happens when an adoption happens in a Roman legal system. But the spirit bears witness, not the seven witnesses, but the spirit bears witness. And when you become adopted, that you would go into the, you get an, a royal adoption the real father, the good father. So he's trying to get them to picture this and understand it in his argument here to where we see the impact. And you guys know, if you've been around um, families who have adopted or foster, it's probably one of the most selfless, sacrificial things that you can do. You, You take a child that doesn't have some guardian protection and you bring them into your family and you cover them with the protection care, love, food, and you do it. And if you adopt them for the rest of your life, they're a part of your family. You have brought them in. It's the most beautiful display of the gospel. It really is. I love when I see adoptive families come and and you see them and their families are thriving under this model of this walking in the gospel. It really is. Um, a bridge to understand the true gospel of Jesus coming and dying and through him that we have been purchased by the blood and adopted by the heavenly father. It's a wonderful way to display the gospel. And the church has done a remarkable job of this over the years. When you go to Uganda, you see this all the time by the Ugandans. Specifically at New Hope Uganda, we see these, these kids who are orphans, who are adopted, raised. Now they're older. They're in their 30s and 40s. They have their own kids. And they're also bringing in orphans. And they're part of their family, and they want them to understand that. Do you understand? Seriously, you have to understand that you're adopted. Paul is trying to tell you that. You're a child of God, and you're adopted. And that makes, you, it makes us unique. And it gives us information about the Heavenly Father so we can understand his heart more, that he saw us and had compassion for us and brought us into his family. Now, the question begs, that begs answered is, who's our father? Who's our heavenly father? And Paul refers to him 
Um, we can stick on this passage here for a little bit in Romans. He says it's, he sends forth the spirit of his son, which is an awesome way, name for the Holy Spirit. The spirit of his son. Sends him into the heart and he bears witness that we're a child of God. And we cry out, what? Abba, father. It's an Aramaic word used for father, but it's a more personal word. It's like my child calling me dad. That's what it is. I've never been to Israel. Maybe some of you have here and you know this to be true. I heard if you go down to the town square or whatever, and you see the little children with their families, they're looking at their dad and they're calling their dad Abba, Abba. They're still running around calling him Abba. It's an Aramaic term. It's used even in the Hebrew culture. The Galatians would have known it and the Romans would have known it or else Paul wouldn't have used it. It's the Aramaic term Abba. And this takes us to a different level, church. He's not a distant father. He's not. He is a close father. A close one. When we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's sweating drops of blood, that's how much stress was going through him because he was about ready to take the sins of the world on and feel all that our sins, but he was also, the relationship with his father was going to be temporarily broken because there's sin involved. And he's he's sweating drops of blood. He says, Abba, Father, take this cup from me if it's possible. If there's any other way, take it away from me. If not, it's your will, I'll do it. If you were to say it in layman's terms, what Jesus is saying his dad, I don't know if I can do this right now. If there's any possible way that we can do this so we, don't be, so we don't have to be separated and I have to feel this pain. If there's any other way, would you please, would you please allow this to happen? And that's what he's saying. He's at that connection as I want with my child. And so we're supposed to call him Abba Father, Dad. Now, sometimes I have a problem when I, when I hear people on stage and they're praying and they're calling him dad. It's like, where's the reverence? And I don't know why I can have an issue with that sometimes, maybe in my heart. Like, do they even understand that or believe it? Or do I have my own issue with it? And I still haven't fully gotten there yet. But maybe you guys are in the same boat as me and other people are like, man, you're getting ripped off. You should be calling him dad all the time. But these are things I'm personally even working through. It's part of my journey. In my own quiet time, I've just been just calling out to him and the father, dad, and and just, and if it doesn't, if it's just like it can't sink in because of maybe what your past was with your father and mother and all these things, let God of the Bible define what a father is, not your heaven, not your earthly father. Even though he may have tried his hardest or whatever, he's never going to match up. And if you didn't have a father, you're trying to figure out how do I even connect the dots here to call this God, this God Abba? But it's true nonetheless. And he has a passion for you because he has a passion for the fatherless. And so it's going to be up to you as well to figure out how to do this. But I do know this. If I'm created in the image of God, he's created a father and he's put that love in my heart. That's what that means when we're created in the image of God. We understand the father's love. There's nothing more that I love than if I'm like I'm crossing a street and my children are with me. We got the, the light that says cross the street and there's traffic and it's kind of a little bit scary for a little child. And I'm just walking and all I feel is this little hand cup in my hand. Cause, and they don't have to say anything. It's my child just like, that's where my safety is. That's my security. This is my Abba. This is my father and my dad. And it pleases my heart. It's like this warm feeling goes over my heart. This is what we're talking about because this is a kind of an abstract concept. So we have to use things that God has put in place as examples to even understand him because he is the heavenly father. What does he like in a relationship with us? What does he want? Does he want that? Us to reach up and just hold me right now. Hold my hand. Hang out with me. You're my protector. You're my provider. You're everything to me. You're my security. You're my father. That's what this means. When you hear that word Abba, that's what this means. 
Are we taking advantage of that? So where did this come from, this idea of father? Is this a kind of a New Testament thing? Where do we, where's Paul getting some of this stuff from? And when you get into the New Testament, no kidding. Jesus, the son of God, wants to talk about the father all the time. So you're going to hear about it all the time. And just in the gospels alone, Matthew uses the term father 43 times, referring to his God, father, God, 43 times. In the book of Mark, five times, Luke, 20 times. And in the book of John, more than all the other gospels combined, 118 times God the Father's mentioned. Now, what do you think the central message of Jesus was? That we have a Father in heaven. In the Old Testament, it directly mentions the name Father for God 15 times. Just 15 times. The first mention of it was in Deuteronomy 32.6. When Moses is giving the second law, and the second law, the reason why is because the first generation passed in the wilderness because of disobedience and unbelief. And their kids came up and they were all fatherless. All the kids that went into the land were fatherless because their families had passed away in the wilderness. And Moses was instructing them on what to do right before they crossed over in the river. And he says to them, do you thus deal with the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father? Moses understood this, and the children of Israel understood this when Moses was saying this. Is he not your father who bought you? These, the children of Israel were complete orphans. Working for, there were slaves working in Egypt, and God had mercy upon them, not because of anything that they were good at. There's nothing that they would do. He, just had, he has passion for the fatherless. He has passion for people who are being mistreated, and he sees them being mistreated, and he says, these are my people. And it says he bought them. He bought them and now he's bringing them in as a child, as his child. Isaiah 63, 16. You don't have to turn or you can write this stuff down because I'm just going to kind of go through some. And it says in 60, Isaiah 63, 16, doubtless you are a father. You are our father. Though Abraham was ignorant of us and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our father. In six, Isaiah 64, 8, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, you are the potter, and all we are the work of your hand. I'm not going to mention all the other times, but then there's other cool images of like, where it doesn't say that God is father, but you have Genesis chapter 2, where Adam goes into a deep sleep. He makes Eve from Adam's rib, wakes him up, and what we have is God himself walking the new daughter, Eve, over to Adam and presenting her as a wife. You didn't realize God gave the first woman in marriage away? It's this cool picture. It doesn't say that at that point he's a father giving his wife away in marriage, but it's a picture. That's where we get it from, and that's what Paul is bringing up in Ephesians when he talks about marriage. And you see this picture of a father um, all throughout Scripture. And the last example I'm going to use um, is in Ezekiel 16, five, 4 and 5. Ezekiel 16, 4 and 5. It says, And as for your birth and on the day that you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No, I pitied you. No, I pitied you, he says, to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out on an open field, for you were aboard on the day you were born. That's how he wanted Israel to know how he saw them. He had compassion on Israel. And this is how he would see them as a child. It just, been, just was birthed, laying there, even with the cord, the blood and everything. He's like, I have compassion on that right there. That's how I view Israel. And that's how he views each and every one of us. That's the heart of the father. Passionate. And then when we get in the New Testament, I'm short on time. And so I'm going to go to one passage that kind of summarizes the whole thing for us. And we can start wrapping up here and bring this thing to a head so we can walk away with something. Jesus is about ready to die. He's hanging out with his disciples. His final words 
are powerful. We see him in John chapter 14. And he says, 14.5, John 14.5. Thomas says to him, Jesus, Lord, we did not know where you are going and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the what? Except through me. If you want to know how to get to the father, there's only one path, Jesus. And if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. And then Philip speaks up in verse eight. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is sufficient for us. What did, you, what did Philip want to see? The father. And he says, if you show it to me, I'm satisfied. And then Jesus says, have I been with you so long and yet you do not know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the father. So how can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak in my own authority, but the father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the father and the father is in me or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. That's our passage that we can go to the bank on. If you want to know your heavenly father, he has been gracious enough to give us his son who's the expressed image of the father, Hebrews 1.3. He's the expressed image. How he expresses himself is the father's heart. And so when we study the life of Jesus, when we study his attributes, when we study his character, how he would treat these people or those people, what he cares about, we know the father. Because right there, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. That's another thing that makes us unique is we actually had God that came and visited us and gave us his character on the earth, walked and dwelt with us. And we have the privilege of the Holy Spirit written right here because this is the, Holy, the word is the Holy Spirit speaking and it's Jesus' words, which is the Holy Spirit. And he's telling us and he's pointing us to Christ because it points us to the Father. And that's what Jesus' mission was, is to make a way to the Father. And it pleases the Father when we're in Christ because that was the Father's plan. There isn't any competition I can pray in the name of Jesus and the Father. I can pray the Holy Spirit, come and teach me this stuff. And it's a beautiful communion that we have and it brings us into adoption. And one day we're gonna see our Father, church. We're gonna see him face to face. But right now we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise waiting to be redeemed. We're unique, we're special. We have to think of that stuff every single day. If not, then what are we thinking about the world and next thing you know, we come into the church and all we are is acting as a slave and not taking the privilege of being a co-heir of Christ. And that is a temptation that Galatians were going through, that the Romans would go through. It's what we go through. We go through the motions of pleasing the Father through our works and not a relationship. And so application points, and then we close up here. Again, it's an abstract concept in a sense. How do I increase in my relationship with the heavenly father and it's going to be no different than what you would expect with your friends your spouse your children you have to spend quality time there's no shortcut to a relationship there isn't it's not going to fall on our laps it's going to be carving out time every single day and talking to our father every single day all throughout the day and trusting in him relying on him putting our hand in his and walking across the street, whatever it is, the pictures that you have in mind when it comes to this, and you are going to this camp on it. But our problem that we have, and it's my problem, probably more than your problem, is I'm inundated with busyness. I'm inundated with a lack of discipline sometimes. And I want to do what Kent wants to do because it's all about team Kent, right? At the end of the day, I struggle with not being my own God. And I have to sit back and break away and say, wait a second here. I know that my joy is in the Father. I know at the end of the day, I'm gonna be in the Father and he's paid an ultimate price for me. I have an amazing inheritance. I'm a co-heir with Christ. I need to sit at the feet 
and carve out time every day. And this is just a simple reminder for you. Make sure it's a non-negotiable that you are spending time with the Father. It's an easy application point, but sometimes it's so hard to do. So just take inventory of your life and make sure that you're putting boundaries on things. You're putting boundaries on your, your phone with the Facebook and you're sitting there and you're, all you're doing is you're captivated by what everybody's saying all the time. And it's just time spent away from people and from God. And it's not that it's a bad thing. It's just when it has no boundaries around it, it becomes bad. Make sure when you wake up in the morning, you give your day to the Lord. When you go to bed at night, you're giving your day to the Lord and you're actually having a relationship. And if it's not connecting, get away by yourself for a long period of time and to sit and read the scriptures learn about God and grow in the knowledge of God because knowledge plus quality time equal relationship. And if I study the face and the life of Jesus, I study the Father's heart. So if we cannot study Christ enough. You cannot study his life enough. You won't get to the end of it. His love is too deep. He's too amazing. He's too powerful. And he's beautiful. Study his life. And as we go out today, just take inventory. I know it's one of those things. It's kind of like, okay, now what do I do with this? It's just a relationship that we work on. And we just start in the right direction, just meeting with him. He's our father. Makes us unique. Amen? Father, I pray in the name of Jesus today, your son, that we understand the impact this could have on us and that we connect the dots. Would you please work in our hearts with the Holy Spirit coming and speaking to us in a way that we understand Jesus more so we understand you more. What a crazy concept that we are royal heirs, co-heirs with Christ, sought after, loved enough to even purchase us with the blood of your son. We see it throughout scripture. This is what you were yelling, yelling at us about through the scripture. That's what John was yelling at us about with an exclamation point at the end. What a privilege that we have. Yelling in a good way, of course, Father. But we thank you so much for your mercy. We thank you for your word. Help us to walk worthy of you. In Jesus' name, amen.